episode 52 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast is with the first ever guest on the podcast, Cy Brundish. I think I said in the first episode that I wanted to try and get a full year of podcasts every week and we've pretty much managed to stick to it. I think there was just one week that we missed, so I'm really pleased and it was great to get Cy back on. Cy is the SNC coach at Derby County Ladies and does loads of other work in uh, youth sport as well uh, with his programme. And we, we don't reference it too much in terms of in this episode, but go back and listen to episode two and Cy talks about his superhero system um, and all the other work he does as well. So Cy came on to talk about the last year, what he's been up to in the last year, also the progress that's being made in female football speed development in the women's game and also the speed program that he runs with his girls with Derby. We did have a few technical issues with this episode and you will hear it cut off quite suddenly at the end. Um, I was going to edit it, we were going to record again, but I thought that the information that's in this episode was really, really good and it was really good to speak to Si and um, ask him the questions that we got across. So I think there's enough good quality information in it to leave it as it is but just so you know when you're listening to it it does cut off quite suddenly at the end of the episode we're delighted to announce that we've now confirmed all of our 2019 network meetings so we have three meetings upcoming on the wednesday the 14th of november 6 till 9 p.m we're going to be up at middlesbrough with johnny madden on tuesday the 19th of november 6 till 9 p.m we're going to be up at celtic park with Oliver Morgan and Jack Naylor. And then on Wednesday, the 4th of December, 6 till 9pm, we're going to be at Stoke City's training ground with Paul White. So it'll be great to see as many people there as possible. Tickets are now available on our website, footballfitfed.com, and just click Network Meetings and Events, and then it'll bring those three meetings up and you're able to book on. We have had tickets go already um, and some of the meetings are restricted on numbers so make sure you go and grab your ticket. Uh, the, the Stoke ticket is available. We're introducing an early bird price to the, the meeting so the Stoke ticket is available on early bird at the moment. Um, there will be a small increase nearer the time um, and you can get further discounts on the tickets by signing up to our football fitness community where we have the network meeting presentations, we've got numerous webinars and then a full forum um, with plenty of different discussions going on in there. So if you do want to check that out, just click the community tab on the website, footballfitfed.com. It was great speaking to Sai, like I said. I hope you enjoyed the episode and let us know what you think. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. I'm delighted to be joined. Today by the first ever guest on the Football Fitness Federation podcast, Cy Brundish. How are you doing, mate? I'm awesome. It's great to be back. And for the 450th time today, <laughs> I, I, it's wonderful to be the first one because obviously to help you build this whole project, because it's just my credibility that you're based on, obviously. <laughs> exactly. We're, I think we've nailed this intro now. So uh, let's move on from the intro and try and actually get into some information and some uh, stuff that people want to hear. We've definitely made it this far. This is the furthest we've been. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. I think we should, nearly... I think we should pause and have a party right now. <laughs> We're nearly a minute in. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy times. No, it's good to have you back on, mate. Thanks a lot for doing it. I think it's um, really great to get you on for episode 52. So from you being the first guest up till now, obviously there's been loads of guests on, but it's great to catch up again. So the one thing I want to know, obviously people can go back and listen to episode two 
where we went into your background and all that sort of stuff. So you can touch on that again if you want. But the one thing I want to know is what you've been doing for the last year. Loads of stuff. Um, it's crazy that it's been a year, really. But uh, I've been working a bit in athletics, a little bit in tennis, been around the uh, the world, the ATP tour, which is some crazy, utter craziness. Jesus Christ, people that do that get paid. They... <laughs> I'll let you in on a secret, right? They're, they're stealing money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's so tremendous. You just get paid to be somebody's mate. That's awesome. You know, it's a great life. Get to travel. Uh, but it's good to be back in, in a little bit of footy. Um, we've got some, we, we moved open up a new facility, uh, got kicked out of the old one, basically. Um, and because we, we required too much parking in that we wanted some because they started to build houses and they built houses on our car park. What can you do at that point? Anyway. Um, so yeah, it's been quite a, a, an upheaval of the year, but uh, in a very positive way we've, we've incidentally, if uh, for people that follow uh, like Mike Young, who's one of the great essences in the world um, and follow his journey, they, we actually supposed to close down and open up together and we closed uh, June 23rd, supposed to open June 26th. Uh, it ended up being um, August the 30th that we were completely closed for. And um, and Mike, they were supposed to close in, Ju- in July and open up uh, um, four days later. They they've got nicer landlords than we had and ended up staying. They're, they're about to open the new facility next week. So they're looking at the last, I think it's the last week in October, they're eventually moving into their new place. So the, the, the whole facility thing is, is quite a big deal and, and it's quite an eye-opener for business owners. So, so that might be a good idea to touch on uh, uh, chatting about someday. And maybe, get, maybe get a couple of, uh, of, of those, those facility owners on to have a chat about how, how these things set up and, and running it and how it's, it's just so different from S&C. Oh, it certainly opens your eyes to a lot of other different stuff, doesn't it? A lot of other challenges. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Red tape, people, logistics, accounts, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, tax. Oh, yeah, it's all, all fun. All the fun stuff. All the fun yeah, yeah, stuff. all the fun stuff. But but I'm here, and it's it's been good, and it's been great to be back into the new season. And my team are winning top of the league, and uh, my my te- the teams that I coach are not. But uh, but it's generally been good. So. So let's touch on where, what you're doing with the, the girls at Derby, mate, because there's some absolute class stuff coming out. Like We're constantly following it, watching it. Um, give us an update on what's been going on with the programme, like what you've been doing, some recent additions or anything you've changed recently, what's been going on. So a quick overview of the programme, right? It's, it's, girls football is very different from conventional uh, lads academy, academy system. So there's not a, there's uh, one team per two-year group. So you, you, they start, they come in at 12s to 14s, and I've got 14s to 16s, and then they move on to the under-18s after that. So there's the three-year groups that come through. So they start at 11, end up at 18 and a half. Um, and... One of the biggest things I, I quite like to talk to other uh, other SNCs that are dealing with with girls footy is that I've been doing this three years. Now. This is my third season. First season, my under 18s were, let's say, less athletic than you would expect of footballers, and it's it you wouldn't see that kind of athlete in boys football. It wouldn't occur at all. 
because these aren't athletes. They just these were just girls that could do some kickups or run. Had some basic understanding of football. Some of them were fantastic. Some of them were great attitudes. They're lovely. It's it's been a wonderful experience for me to to be able to coach girls across the spectrum. Um, but what I'm seeing now is that my 11 year olds are coming in and they're the best athletes of their class in their in their their counties in any sport. They're the best all-round athletes, and they're now playing football, and they weren't playing football any previous generation. Um, so it, it's it's a very different coaching environment because of that. It's a, it's a different culture within the team. They're they're all pushing each other on physically in a way that they weren't before. I was I was trying to nurture physical performance out of them before and show them the benefits and show them it was even possible for them to sprint and jump and and it was very much an injury prevention. Uh, and then real fundamentals of movement that I was trying to instill in them before. And because some of my girls now have been in our program three years, that we can get some, some of them are lifting weights in the gym, um, which is really nice to see with really good technique. And they have really solid fundamentals. Um, but everybody sprints because that's, that's my first go-to. They, they're going to have, they're going to be required to sprint in a game. So uh, one, so Tuesdays we sprint. And Thursdays is a change of direction day and we kind of fill in, uh, we kind of modify load there dependent on their general all round load because it's insane what, what girls do and what, what else is, is aligned with that change in demographic that I've been explaining is that the once the 18s three years ago, they would just play football for the RTC and which is a regional training center for the FA. That's how, girls football works that there are 12 uh, regional training centers around the country they're aligned with the male football club a traditional football club but they are actually part of the england pathway rather than uh, a pro- professional football team um and so our 18s they were they would oh, would only play football and so now our 11s they're the best girl athlete in their year uh, at school so they're playing all school sports they'll be playing like they'll be doing uh get called up for county cross uh cross country or they'll be playing netball for the county for the region for the country we've got four girls that play netball for england um and they're required to train twice a week and play on saturdays for the club for the club and the county on on mondays so their playing load is is so much higher than anything we'll see in a boy at their age mm-hmm. And what, what do you think the reason behind that is these 11 year, well under 11s or 11 year olds coming through that uh, seem to be in a, in better physical conditions do you think this is the multi sport approach coming through or like is that something that you think the 18s necessarily didn't do as much of did they just play football more or why do you, what do you think the reason is behind that um I can align my coaching experience of, of working with these girls uh, with my uh, head as a parent of a 15 year old girl that plays footy. And um, I don't know if, if, if you've ever seen uh, girls recreational uh, amateur footy is that the parents are very, very different than boys footy. Boys footy are very often led by the dad uh, who also used to play footy or might be the coach of a team. And, and they were all like, they go to matches and watch games on TV and that kind of stuff. They're properly fully integrated into the culture of football. Girls football is very traditionally not that. It's it's very often parents that were kind of outsiders that didn't do sport in the first place. 
and this will be the first sport that they're involved in. They very I've I've spoken to hundreds of parents at girls' football matches, and the vast majority don't follow football on TV or a team, or they often don't even know the rules. And it's a new thing for their their daughter to play. And, and I'm finding that's changing as well. So I, I, I'm not sure it's got anything to do with or um, participation or all round training of, of kids, which is maybe marginally better. But I don't think it was as much uh, over the last three years has changed. I, I just think it's a cultural thing. I think uh, maybe I think the World Cup had a big impact. Women's World Cup had a big impact. I think the current cultural climate of um, empowering women and all of those good stuff that is, that's been around the last couple of years has has maybe um, permeated into schools so that girls are, are aren't picked on for being sporty. So they're allowed to be more visible, which is playing for the school team, rather than they go off after school and go and do gymnastics instead, which is almost it's, it's an individual sport. And so, so those girls that typically would have done ballet or gymnastics or, 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 um, you know, female sports, female individual sports now are actually coming together and doing team sports. And it happens to be football because they've seen it on TV and it looks awesome and they're playing with their brothers and they don't have to do traditionally girls things. Maybe that, that's just my theory. I, I couldn't tell you what the truth is, but I, I like it. And I think, it's going to be much easier to coach and to work with from an SNC perspective. I also think one fundamental change we're, we're going to have to um, look into is the the statistical numbers and the research that we're that's driving our our, our coaching um, isn't going to be applicable anymore. There's stuff like um, uh, that I've had to go through this week because I've had my first ACL tear, which is a nightmare of a 15 year old girl. Um, if you follow our Insta account, you will literally have seen it. If you look carefully, you'll be able to watch it. It's horrible. Um, but anyway, she, uh, she's she been given all of the, de- the, the data of uh, likelihood of, of recurrence, um, how long it's going to take to, re- to uh, rehab, all of those things. And that statistical data, I, do, I think, is no longer valid because it was carried out on girls that were traditionally less athletic than the ones we currently have. So these girls are going to be better prepared for uh, ACL rehab and recovery, and they're going to have better movement patterns. And going to be, they're going to be stronger. They're going to be able to apply force much more rapidly. They're going to have, um, be better prepared to change direction. They're going to have uh, a higher level of conditioning so they're not fatigued in the same way after 55 minutes, which is more makes them more susceptible to, to ACL tears. All of those things, I think, is different now. I think it's going to be much closer to the boys' model. I think you saw that in the World Cup, and I think it'd be good to get your views on that from what you took away from the World Cup. Because obviously, I think it's the first female tournament that's really got a big buzz going about it, hasn't it? Like, I, There's a lot of people that I spoke to that definitely didn't follow any any sort of female football before and that really got their interest and I think it was the fact that the game was a lot better like you said the the physical capacity of the players was much better and that leads to a better quality game doesn't it and I think that's only going to go like it's only going to increase over the next few years so what were some of your biggest takeaways from that obviously being involved in female sport as well yeah yeah huge um my biggest takeaway from that is that is that whenever we're making um 
non-traditional stereotype whenever we're comparing to non-traditional stereotypes so when when it comes to women's football people will always make a judgment about goalies goalies don't dive so the quality of the game is rubbish yeah so the goals don't count as much as boys footy or whatever because as long as you put it to one side or the other the goalie's never going to save it right and what we saw in this world cup were were top hand top corner saves that we were, set, we, were, we were seeing legitimately good goalkeeping, actual athleticism, which we'd never seen at a, a World Cup before. There'd been one goalkeeper at the previous World Cup that I believe started the culture change. And this World Cup, there were eight truly fantastic goalkeepers who potentially could play professional football for in, in the men's game. And I, I think so that in itself removes... The, the stigma, the ability for a man to make a joke out of the game, so it adds credibility just by that one thing. I think that the fact in England that um, we had a legitimately good team, the, um, the farce of putting Gar- Phil Neville as a manager of, of an England team, which, you know, I forget that I, I'm literally involved in this, I think was... Um, Purely from a football coaching perspective, a mistake. It should have been one somebody that had justified that position from within the women's game. But having said that, the the coverage that that the get that Garrett that Phil Neville as manager um, created for women's football probably can't be quantified. Mm. That it it became it's it's literally on on BBC's website alongside men's football. They don't they don't even say girls anymore. They're just the England team. If you're watching Sky News, the England team played last night, and then such and such a somebody you've not heard of because it's a woman scored or whatever. But that's irrelevant. It's starting to become part of the 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 culture, the zeitgeist, and and it's really and that 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 has a lot to do with Phil Neville and. Um, and then Alex Scott, who was comment, uh, who was doing commentary, and then she is now on Sky Sports, and she was fantastic. So I think another thing that played into it was the terrible, the 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 quality of analysis and commentary that we're we're so used to from ex pros, ex male pros that were that are just so commonly in our in our living rooms. Um, having that, it was almost an antidote to that, and actually a bright, um, enthusiastic woman that's that's te- that's, that's well informed and given us real tactical insight. I think that also added a layer to it as well. And mm. and she is credible enough to be on TV now. And no one's ridiculing her. People had to do it at the time, but you know, the, there's she's not on because she's a woman. She's on because she's really, really good. And she happens to be a woman, which just adds more credibility to the game. So all of these things, the, the, it created a, um, a melting pot that, that allowed girls to play footy and, and inspired other girls to, to, to play footy too. And Lucy Bronze is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think people like that were so impressive, weren't they? Like she was obviously possibly the biggest standout but there was plenty in the England team and then you look at the the Americans as well like the physicality of of some of those girls is that's just that's no fluke that's hard work that's a a well-designed program there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind that isn't there there's been great from a a, a perspective of an SNC working within girls footy to have America America have always had this next level SNC they they they've worked harder than our Premier League footballers for years as part of their co- their collegiate system and and their they have British um, SNC 
uh, coaches over there, which is in in the American team, which is awesome. Um, but but yeah, they have a, cu- a culture of hard work, of lifting weights, of sprinting hard. And that's a bottom line. That's you can't be in the team unless you can do those things. And then you have to be great at football as well. And that's 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 uh, a great aspirational um, role models for, for me to lay out to, to my girls for sure. Um, but with the other thing, I think with the with the England team, the, there was such a great spread of of girls in that team. You've got like the brilliant John Terry esque. I hate John Terry, but the John Terry esque leader in Steph Orton, who who's got she started to create like a, a persona publicly that people are aware of, and and the whole sad story about her husband. But that that gets into people's mind, so people are aware of it, and she becomes she gets a layer of 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 fame because of it, um, which then makes being a woman footballer more normal. Um, we've got, we were at the end of the whole suing of the FA f- um, from the, you know, the coaching, uh, coaching sexism stuff, bad stuff, but it also adds a layer to what's normal being a professional footballer. Um, and then you've got like, uh, you've got that, that, the, uh, a variety of, of character, on the pitch. So there's somebody identifiable for all girls on that pitch there. You've got like a pretty blonde, you've got like a big athletic, um, girls, you've got, um, a flying black winger, you've got a five foot two, um, uh, great spreader of, of the ball that's got fantastic technique, but is, is not necessarily the most athletic, which we, which we will, not be in the game that much longer, as I said at the beginning, but she's still there. So the girls can identify with all of those things. So, so the barriers to entry of playing the game were kind of removed by having all of these different shapes and sizes in the England team get into a semi-final and, and genuinely they had hope of winning. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what's your views? Cause I look at the women's game and I, I've not worked directly in the women's game, but I know a lot of people that have, and I've worked on the men's side, but I look at it and I think that, the way that they're preparing now, and obviously the work that you do, we see that, but then we also see a lot what what the girls are doing with the England team as well. It's a very sort of modern approach, isn't it? A lot of heavy lifting, a lot of speed, a lot of strength work, a lot of power work. You'll know as well as me that if you step into a lot of male professional first teams, a lot of that doesn't doesn't happen. So no, you, you find tradition there. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Do you think it's because it... People have gone in with a bit of a blank canvas and they've been able to build this program. I suppose you do see it now with the with the men's side in terms of the England team, because they're put they're doing a bit more there's a, it seems to be a bit more work that goes on that's similar to the women. But what what's your views? You think it is that there's just a blank canvas and people have been able to create on top of it? Yeah, I think the uh, women's performance from a physical perspective is being driven by us mm. rather than what in men's football it's been driven by our fathers and their fathers and what happened before that so what we're having to do is undo traditional bad practice before we can layer on what is good practice and with girls free reign do what you like i literally that's my mandate my mandate is to toughen them up making them as hard as possible and i and, and so i'm like well, actually i want to make them as fast and robust as possible so they're not tearing acls they're they're always available and they're the fastest versions of them they can be that's that's the bottom line and 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 so uh, my director of football is whatever you need to create that 
that mm. culture within the club. So we want athletic girls. I want girls that can backflip. I want girls that can sprint faster than than the boys. We're, we're on the same pitch um, uh, every once a week with this a similar age boys because they they are, they play against each other sometimes. Um, and those 15, 16 year old really good level footballers are scared of the speed of my girls mm. because speed kills. It's the bottom line, and and we're at, we're at, I think a, a point in time where um, where as I'm talking about the demographic, that uh, there are girls in international football that are winning because they happen to be the quick ones, and we're going to get a generation coming through now uh, from 16 year olds now that um, that are all going to be able to um, run above 27 kilometers an hour really quickly. And then stop really hard and go again in a, in, a, in another direction. And and they used to be the outlier. They're currently in the Premier League, the outlier. And in three years' time, they're going to be normal. And I think it's that they're that close to it being normal. And so what happens because of that is that the the girls see that as as beneficial to them. They all the the owners of the clubs will see the performance. Um, and see the value of having such rapid athletic girls that can remain on, uh, uninjured. And then that gives us more credibility and, and more responsibility and accountability to do with what to drive the program. And we're, and, and that's not how boys football, how men's football works. Yeah, that's, I'm, I fully agree with that. I think the traditions we're fighting tradition, aren't we? And it's, it's going to be a slower sort of change in terms of the men's game, but I fully agree, and I think the only the speed of the women's game is only going to go up. I think you can see that from the previous World Cup to this World Cup massively, and I think you're right. I think it's only going to do the same again. So, what? Just sorry, just an example of speed, right? In the, I, I don't know how um, commonly known top speeds are, and and uh, and ten meter times and stuff are across the coaching network, but but. Um, one of the numbers that got out from last season um, was the the fastest player in the Champions League last season was Virgil van Dijk, 35.2 kilometers an hour he, he, he touched, which is rapid. That's fast, right? Um, that um, I know three players, I have one of them, and um, that touched more uh, a higher speed than 35.2 kilometers an hour, and she is 17 in my team. So they are legitimately fast girls. Mike. And that is like uh, Mbappe. You're talking uh, the average speed. It's a little bit less than it's that whole um, Usain Bolt. The average speed of him at the World, uh, him over 100 meters. That's kind of irrelevant because we know that with Usain Bolt, it's a, it's a matter of the fastest speed he can hit because he's got he's coming from a standing start uh, from a uh, blocks from inertia. Um, but like the ability to just your absolute top speed of 37 km an hour, that it that as long as you can control a ball, that's going to win you endless matches. And and we're producing girls that can do that, which is comparable to the men's game. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So what? let's dive into your programme a little bit more then, because I know you briefly mentioned it before in terms of some straight, li- um, straight line work and then some change of direction work. And I know 
if if people aren't aware of the work you put out, they need to be like they need to be following it on Instagram because I know you put loads of um, videos out on the work you do with the girls. But what's changed in terms of your practice, or what's what's the progress been recently re- regarding? Uh, there's a lot of research coming out, isn't there? Paul Colbeck's put loads of stuff out. I know there's loads of people posting things in terms of curve sprints, in terms of more positional uh, specific work. How have you implement, implemented that? So what we do is we have uh, we go for um, straight line. We're gonna we we go for beginning of season. We're gonna go for um, fitness testing of uh, inertia to ten meters. We have a rolling ten meters. We have inert to thirty and a rolling thirty. They're the only sprint uh, metrics we care about, and I largely don't care about them. We just test because people want us to test. I I, I couldn't care less about testing. I wanted. I want the girls to feel faster. That's it. Uh, I want at the end of the season them to be have been available all year and to feel faster than they did at the beginning of the season because I see their girls and they're developing and there's all sorts of things involved in that, right? So, so we make sure that they can. Um, we go through all the fundamentals of superheroes to make sure that they're that they can control their body in all planes in all, on on both and either leg in all directions and that they can create force and absorb force. But then we're sprinting from a variety of starts. So typical standing start from a sprint to start, and then we get them down into um, uh, lying prone. And so to try and drive um, what people see, like positive shin angles, all of the sprinting terms. But instead of talking about these technical terms, we put them in different shapes to, to begin a, a, a whatever drill we're trying to, to elicit the, the appropriate action without having to cue these things. So if we can, if we can constrain their drill to uh, putting cones at a, a specific distance apart um, or, or having hurdles, which you'll see my hurdles, I have these little green hurdle things that change, change uh, height all the time. Um, and I have them in most of our sprint sessions so that I can, uh, one of the big things for us is, is to, um, is to, to create the stride length. So we, we want like little stutter steps at the beginning of, to, to, to develop acceleration and then higher speed as we get along. And we do that by having like typical wickets, um, or, um, using cones that they have to fit in between. So I don't have to cue them to have short steps or stutter steps or lean in one direction. It's just the they end up in those positions because of the uh, race we've created. So uh, in, in line, we'll have a variety of different positions to start. We'll have a variety of cues to of stimulus to begin whatever um, sprint they're going to have. So we'll have sometimes audible, sometimes me shouting. It will sometimes be one of the girls um, with one of the bibs waving a bib, or sometimes it will be a ball and they have to, they have to get to a ball, see a ball kicked or whatever. Um, and we will have, I, I find there are three different things that uh, that tend to um, motivate top speed or, or um, rapid contraction or acceleration is that some girls prefer this is the outcome I want you to get. Get to here as fast as you can. Some girls do that as fast as they can. Some girls need to be chased. They don't want to get caught. And some girls like to chase. So we create those three things to get the best and we obviously make notes of which which motivates which girls, so we can we can make sure that they get in one of those things in each time. We vary the distances. Then um, once we've gone through nice, 
So they've got good, balanced, coordinated mechanics. They're getting one of the cues we have is um, so they have to push the ground back. They have to be able to uh, you will hear on the videos, high hands that uh, they have to be able to see the right fingers with their right eye and then their left fingers with their left eye. And all that does, it keeps them upright. It keeps them um, well balanced so that so that they're um, swinging forwards and backwards. That's also we've got a nice linear approach. Um, but they understand all of these cues and they cue each other to do those things. And it takes a lot of energy leaks from from rotation and all stuff out of it because then you can't swing, you can't have those pistons that are going forwards and backwards and you know, lose the, the, uh, get the rotation, the lumbar rotation or whatever they're, they're, they're getting. So yeah, we go through those. Then we, uh, we start to add in, um, curves, which, uh, is if you've listened to the, to Paul, who's amazing doing, doing his PhD on this stuff. Now, um, the uh, 80% of runs are curved more than 80% depends on positionally, uh, it changes, but, um, you want them to be able to run in a straight line, but for a game, so to make it more applicable, we go round a bend. Um, so I like to to have uh, quite obtuse curves and then gradually make them more and more acute. Um, we generally put them overlapping so that there's an external, they have to be aware of the other person. And uh, if you watch our videos, we've had a couple of crashes. Um, <laughs> they, were, they were crossover, so they have to be aware. I want them to this, very often race, and I stagger one so it's slightly further ahead of the other to try and alleviate that crash thing. But they still do it. Uh, Jesus Christ. Proper full-on head, head-to-head, as fast as they can. Bang. Knocked out. Yeah. That wasn't a good look. But that's that's the plan. As you get as you get closer and closer, so we'll, we'll get the more acute curves. And then we have a stop and then a cut at the end as well as the extra the extra progression onto that. So they're cutting cutting off their outside leg and then cutting off their inside leg as, as, uh, as an extra, uh, deviation from those things. Uh, that would be our sprint day. And then on our, uh, on Thursdays we do, uh, multi-directional stuff. So we work on being able to create and absorb force, um, through all planes. And we start to have, um, to apply external loading to this, whether it's uh, it's a weight or largely it could be a shove um, from one of the other girls. And can you can you absorb this knowing it's coming? Can you absorb this when you don't know it's coming? Can you absorb absorb this lateral forces while you're moving forwards and you know, all of those things uh, on one foot on two feet? And we add in bands as well to cry, try and create this. And we do lots of. Uh, uh, change of direction uh like uh rats and rabbits that kind of we have uh, space invaders we have cr- uh, crossy road we have uh, lots of different games that we've invented just with cones with uh to to constrain that like you're gonna you're gonna have a change of direction every three meters um we cue with a change of direction we'll cue uh two hands so uh what that does or or you're going to go with your leading hand or with your opposite hand and what that does it creates a crossover step or shuffle step in and out of the the change so it just starts to develop those those good movement habits i make them aware of um how in a in a broken down form that athletic um action actually is a thaw 
exercise that they've been practicing for the last two years. So, um, yeah, it just reinforces all of those things together. And we also play dodgeball. Yeah, which brings <laughs> a lot of it together, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. If you, we try to be uh, yeah, the opposite of what uh, the current thinking of making game-specific stuff. So I don't. So I want game-specific actions, but I don't want them to be playing football during during my time. I only get half an hour, two times a week, with each group, and they play a lot of football. They need their bodies need to be prepared to do um, to to tolerate and then they, and excel at at um, the actions required eighty the ninety eight percent of the time on a football pitch without a football. But I would like their brain to be able to compute that with something else. So we use dodgeballs to throw and catch. We'll use frisbees. They've got little bouncy. Uh, we use lacrosse balls bouncing at each other. So. So it just engages them in a different way. And uh, largely, I find if they're giggling and paying attention, that's the sweet spot of, of uh, adherence and uh, development. I think it's massive because we spoke off air and you were saying, oh, it's just, it's just the fundamentals and, and playing, playing down the program. But it's the fundamentals done so well, isn't it? Like, that's, what, that's my point of view is I look at the work that you, you guys do um, with the girls and you could you could just say that's fundamentals of sprinting or that's fundamentals of single leg strength work but the creativity in the program and the innovation that's what actually gets the buy-in but it also gets the real quality of movement and I think you can see that and you can compare it not mentioning names but if you look at other programs they'll be trying to do similar things but won't quite do it as well and I think that's that's the real key yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 what I found because I'm like, how old am I? Forty four, I think. Uh, and having kids, so I've got a 15 year old daughter. I've got a, a nearly 12 year old son. Both play sports um, and have done for their whole lives. I found that how you speak to them matters more than what you say. So I can create a program, the perfect uh, linear strength training program and, and lay it out on a whiteboard or give them uh, handouts and email the, these things out for them at the beginning of the season. This is where you are. This is where you go in. Doesn't mean anything. They don't care. Um, it's, 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 so it's how you deliver. And from my perspective, it's, uh, they've got to know that I care about how, about them as people but also how they perform, not from my perspective in making me look better, but in that they understand the things they do and how it fits in making them better so that they can review it. They can peer review each other. They, they call each other out when technically they, they need to be uh, doing, having a knee in a different place or they need to be looking in a different direction. Those things are really important. Um, cause, cause my long-term goal in this is that, the, uh, as many of those girls are still playing sport when they're 25 yeah. on, on a Friday night before they go out and get, get hammered with their mates, they'll go and play netball or they'll have a five aside match or whatever it is. I couldn't care less. Um, and the byproduct of that, of their general all round great athleticism is they are better footballers. Now mm. my goal isn't to make them better footballers now. I think I could probably have a slightly different program for that, but then they would, they would break and they would probably leave football within a year because 
that's just what 15 year old girls do. Do you know what I mean? They need to have fun in the program. They need to understand why, how their body works and why it's good so that they can carry on doing that for the rest of their lives. I think those, those points you've made there show that it's the right program at the right time, isn't it? Because of the fact that they are buying into it and that they're doing it. Essentially, they're doing it and they're doing it well. And, and we all know that a program that is done well and, and got adherence from players is going to be better than this scientifically, like massively scientifically based program with loads of testing and monitoring and all that sort of stuff with no buy-in. We, we know that's the case. Yeah, very much. We we literally replaced the program that was all uh, science te- testing. They te- they actually tested the the girls once a month. Um, and bear in mind, we get thirty minutes twice a week. Yeah, spending one set of those every four doing testing. What are you gonna What are you gonna develop in thirty in three thirty minute sessions? Mm. Nothing. Mm. Why are you te- What are you testing? You're testing only for yourself. So. I'm perfectly aware. I have I have very little input into what they do. I just want to create good behavior and good habits and, and make the most of the 30 minutes I have with these kids and to make them the most athletic versions of themselves that they can be. Testing can be a whole other discussion, can't it? Because I, I think we probably have similar sort of views on it. That I, I've seen it just done for the sake of doing it and you don't even get accurate results of it. With Depending on the group of players, you could see players cruise through a sprint test and you're like, well, that's giving me some stats, but are they even are they even correct? Are they even realistic? Whereas if you just look, use your coach and I look at a session that you're doing, you could probably see progression in those players anyway without actually yeah, yeah, yeah. anything, can't you? And like you said, speaking to the player and seeing if they, they feel like they're getting faster or they're improving. Yeah, exactly. And the bottom line for me is that they can see improvements in other in the other players. Yeah, that's the bottom line. They they can see that the the girl that wasn't athletic is now way more athletic than she used to be, and what that does, it doesn't just create buy-in; it creates motivation. Because as we know, something is better than nothing. So so if if there is an inathletic kid that comes in and gets some athletic development program, they're going to improve really quickly. Big thank you to Sai for coming on. Uh, I hope all the information um, came across okay. We did have quite a few technical issues getting started on the podcast and then towards the end we got cut off as well. But like I said at the start, I think there was plenty of good information in there so I left left it in as it was instead of recording again. Um, You can go and follow Sai on Twitter. If you are not offended by loads of Liverpool information, I'd follow his personal Twitter which is at Simon Brundish. Um, but you can also go and check out his company his company and the work he does in youth development at UK underscore strength lab I think my biggest three takeaways it was tough to try and and tie it down to three on this episode but I think where he spoke about the data of female football no longer being valid because of the way that the game has progressed I think that was a really important point then also he spoke about some of the work he does, some of the speed work he does with the girls that he trains and saying about how players react slightly differently. So some might react better to um, some chasing games and being chased. Others might be, react better to doing the chasing and reacting to different stimula, stimulus in, uh, in certain drills. I think that was really good. And that's obviously something that's came across with experience in size experience. And then we also spoke about the, the obviously the follow-up from the World Cup 
but the women's game being built on that blank canvas and the reason behind why the, the game is looking so a lot faster and it is producing a lot more um, athletic players and the speed of the game is increasing so it was really good to catch up with Sai and get his thoughts on that I think he, he puts out loads of information um, and puts out loads of quality work so it's always good to speak to him and he'll be, definitely be someone we'll get on again in the future so let us know what you thought of the episode um, get in touch you can hit us up on Twitter at FootballFitFed Instagram at FootballFitFed Drop us an email, mail at footballfitfed.com. I mentioned all the networking events coming up at the start of the show, so go and check that out. And if you haven't done so already, go back to episode two because we did do episode two with Sai. Um, and you can go and listen to his background and a lot of other bits of information on there. I really appreciate him coming on. And we'll speak to you again next week. <laughs>